Welcome to the Hear It From Me podcast, where we will get to know the stories of people who have found their own voice, live a life of authenticity, and or help others do the same. I'm your host, Dale Likens, and I am looking forward to sharing with you a conversation that I had recently with Imran Malik. He is the guest on the episode today. So there is absolutely no way that I could tell you everything that Imran has ever been up to or is doing currently. His bio is pretty extensive. So I'm going to pull out a couple of things that are most pertinent to what we will be talking about. So Imran is multilingual. He's a cross-cultural expert and interfaith outreach ambassador. He's a community leader and bridge builder, staunch believer and empathetic deliverer of service to others. Imran is the the chairman of the Community Inclusion Advisory Committee for the City of Dublin, Ohio. He's a commissioner of the Community Relations uh, Committee for Columbus City Mayor Andrew Ginther. He's a member of the Community Resilience Program to Fight Racism developed by Columbus Bar Association and the Ohio State University's Law Department. He's a member of Columbus Faith Coalition Prayer Team Against Violence, and he's a member of Columbus Mayor's Faith Leaders Action Group. I met Imran when he and I worked together with the Noor Islamic Center in Dublin to begin an interfaith organization called Safe Alliance for Interfaith Leaders. I'm looking forward to introducing you to my friend Imran. So I am so glad to welcome Imran Malik with me today. Uh, I've known Imran for several years. Met with uh, met Imran in starting an organization in uh, Columbus, Ohio, for um, uh, interfaith leaders to get together and be a witness to their community about differences. And Imran, I've always appreciated your leadership. Uh, You you just had such important uh, things to say and a powerful voice, and were an inspiration to me and still are. And uh, I just knew when I was beginning uh, the podcast that I wanted to talk to you for hear it from me. So thank you for uh, agreeing to be uh, part of this today with me. Thank you, Dale. And it's always been a pleasure to, you know, not only know you as a leader in the community, but also as a friend and a brother and a human in general, you know, the work and the time that we have uh, spent here in Dublin and specifically in Columbus, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's very, very touching work that you have done. And, uh, you know, I'm very equally, reciprocally, uh, you know, very uh, in debt to you for all that you have taught me in the years uh, of our community service. So thank you for being such an inspirational leader. So. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you. That's Thanks. awesome. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So I had said that, you know, I met Imran. Um, I got invited to uh, be part of a group of, um, of, got, of people who were starting to gather. I was going to say clergy, but they were not all. It was just leaders in different organizations, religious organizations uh, in Northwest Columbus in Dublin, Ohio, that was uh, a safe space for people of different faith experiences and beliefs to come together and influence the community by showing cooperation. And 
Imran, those were some powerful days. I was so happy to be part of starting Safe Alliance for Interfaith Leaders. And um, uh, again, just was so moved by stories that we shared around uh, to the table. Every meeting it seemed to involve food, <laughs> food and conversation and uh, prayer together and, and just real heartfelt sharing. So uh, it really showed the power of relationship. So I, 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 I'm sure you, you remember those days, you know, yep, as yep. well. So. And anytime I speak to, you know, one of those founding members like yourself or anybody else and they were still uh, in that work. Uh, yes, uh, those memories were great and we have cherished them over the years and I'm sure we'll continue to cherish them in years mm -hmm. ahead. And, uh, you know, it's just not uh, that the momentum was created. It's also, I think, uh, a big bang theory that has happened after that uh, formation of sale, uh, given that, you know, there are other specific uh, interfaith dialogues in the suburban ecologies of central Ohio and also all over state of Ohio that I'm seeing are emerging in the same lines of work where people are kind of like, you know, coming together, building relationships, uh, reaching out of, out of their comfort zones to each other and, uh, connecting on human to human levels rather than on uh, amplified differences that, you know, we always feel ourselves are so divided among. Uh, so I think uh, it's, it's good to see that the social media, where it has a lot of like, you know, uh, cons, it also has a lot of pros. Mm, and yes. even of COVID, it has, uh, you know, been a vehicle and a platform of keeping people connected. And also, even though people were not available for in-person services or in-person opportunities to do things, people were still collaborating and staying connected uh, on positivity and optimism. So that's, that's, that was a beautiful experience that, you know, from a mm -hmm. faith and a community leadership perspective that I experienced in the time of COVID as well. So, yeah. And, you know, it, it, um, uh, it began, I was going to say with the, it wasn't really a small group. It was a pretty good sized group of folks, uh, yep. many of them coming from Noor Islamic Cultural Center, where uh, Imran is a part of that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, and, uh, you know, I was at a United Methodist Church, and there were other uh, Christian clergy, and, and um, um, anyway, it was just this really um, uh, powerful beginning. Now, I know SAIL is still, in, is still doing work in the community, and uh, going, uh, you know, going strong, and I wasn't sure if you just catch me and and others up about what what has it, you know, what sale been up to in the last, you know, I left the area in 2012, so so in the last 10 years, um, you know, to live out that purpose that we started. Excellent. Well, thank you, uh, Dale, for giving me the opportunity to talk, uh, you know, about the history of sale, which you already kind of mentioned too much of a, uh, you know, intentional and unintentional stuff that we got into. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, it definitely started with a group of friends, clergy's kind of, you know, meeting up. Uh, and, you know, it was intentional that we left it unstructured for a while. Because the whole purpose was like, you know, to build a relationship. And, uh, you know, uh, Terry Hoffaker, who was like, you know, one of the pioneers that he reached mm -hmm. out and spearheaded that effort, uh, you know, kudos and uh, bless his heart, you know, he did a marvelous job of bringing people from Hilliard and Dublin, specifically from the Christian denomination into conversation with, uh, you know, the Hindus and the Muslim community members who were new kids in the block, uh, new kids on the block in that specific, uh, you know, territory of Columbus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, long story short, like, uh, 
we eventually did formulate it, sail to a more structured platform. And we were probably the first of uh, its kind in central Ohio, I would say in the state of Ohio, because if you recall back in 2012, when we hosted the first national level interfaith conference here in uh, New Islamic Culture Center in, in, in uh, Columbus, sale was a major part and a major catalyst that really made that thing happen. And ever since uh, that time, and I know you left a little shortly after that time and mm -hmm. you moved to Maddie or Mason area in specific, uh, sale had been kind of like uh, a, an inclusive leadership interfaith leader in much of the interfaith work or ecumenical work that's happening in, in central Ohio and beyond. Uh, as I said, like we have led not only the, the cultural work and the faith work, but also the socioeconomical and in many, many ways and form, uh, just specifically the lifestyle work as well. We have had the opportunity to collaborate our events with YMCA of Hilliard, the Ray Patch, uh, you know, YMCA, and then also other nonprofit organizations where we were able to talk about, you know, the, the life issues, you know, taking away from not only the faith perspective, but also cultural and the changing dynamics and changing, changing environment because of economics and politics, we have been able to work in that dimension as well. Uh, now, I mean, our purpose has always been to find the low-hanging fruits and bring people together on the opportunities of service work, you know, whether it's food drives or doing winter winter drives or doing like, you know, events like, uh, you know, thanks and giving, which is like, you know, more towards, geared towards like, you know, cultural aspect of celebration and stuff. Uh, we, we we have been able to make a lot of headways in that low, in, in, in kind of cap capitalizing on those low hanging food opportunities, but then also like, you know, bringing people on not only the opportunities of losses and, uh, you know, tragedies where like, you know, the major shootouts or major like, you know, events of uh, humanitarian crisis or natural disasters have occurred. We have also been able to bring people together uh, on the opportunities to celebrate diversity, celebrate like, you know, the occasions of happiness, whether these are cultural occasions or whether these are like events like just like you know celebrating uh, like uh, a religious holiday like if it's a Diwali or uh, whether it's a neighborhood organization kind of bringing people together so we have been kind of actively engaged in those uh, corridors of uh, celebration celebratory work as well so definitely uh, a lot has happened in last 10 years ever since you left the area uh, but it's needless to say like you know it's is the replica has been able to get uh, get uh, formulated in, in a lot of different uh, neighborhoods all over central Ohio that's kind of following the similar model of bringing people together. So yeah. sorry for a long rambling answer. Uh, <laughs> Maybe the whole <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. That's the whole 10 years. No, we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, and it, Ron, I have... I've noticed through social media and especially some things you share or that sale shares in its own social media feed um, that the, especially around the city of Dublin, which is where the kind of nucleus of your work is, but um, you know, some ways that uh, seems like uh, those bridges being built to neighbors and, you know, helping people to get together around their similarities and not differences or, you know, maybe people who wouldn't connect uh, on any kind of natural everyday way. Um, it seems like the city of Dublin has kind of helped, you know, ha you've had an impact is what I'm trying to say for sure. Uh, I've noticed some, you know, lighting of the, the, 
the bridge that's in Dublin, maybe you can speak about that a little bit too in different ways that honors different holidays like you mentioned and some other uh, important uh, events. So I just, you know, have you, that has been happening. How have you seen that? Yeah, so uh, thank you for pointing that out as well. Uh, you know, the city of Dublin, especially the, the city manager and the city council has def definitely taken into account the, uh, the changing social fabric and the impacts that it has created on the ecology of Dublin in specific. Mm -hmm. You know, Dublin is definitely one of those, uh, you know, Irish uh, ecologies that is very accommodating and it lives as Irish principles and like, you know, heritage uh, to the core. Uh, so definitely it's a very accommodating uh, city and it's a very uh, global city already to begin with. But uh, definitely the leadership has uh, taken the right steps in uh, bringing about, uh, you know, the adaptability to accommodate the changes that are happening. Uh, I ran for Dublin School Board uh, last year and during that process I did uh, you know, encounter a lot of new uh, ideas and thought processes and a lot of new uh, communities that are now calling uh, Dublin as home as well. And uh, the largest minority in Dublin happens to be the Indian community, which is the new American community as well. And then, of course, you know, the Hispanics, the, the Muslim community from all different diasporas of the world. Uh, and then like uh, the Chinese and the Japanese communities, you know, they are like in a major, uh, you know, segments of our, our society as well. So with such a mass diversity of both culturalism as well as faith ecologies, as well as traditions in general, the city has actually done a two-step process. They have actually formulated uh, two different sets of commissions. The first one is called the Chief's Advisory Committee, uh, which basically, uh, you know, provides it's, it's a, it's this group of leaders, and I was part of that uh, to begin with. I served on that committee for two years before I moved on to the second committee. So I'll talk about that here shortly, but let me give okay. a little bit in-depth about the Chief's Advisory Committee. And that uh, commission is basically made up of about uh, 10 to 12 leaders from the community of different, uh, you know, ethnic groups as well as, you know, cultural groups. And the idea is that, you know, they will work with the public safety aspect of, you know, how to make Dublin more safe, secure, and progressive when it comes to the relationship between the community in general, the student population, and then also the law enforcement. And I think that uh, that initiative has led uh, a lot of other opportunities to come to Dublin in, in general. And our chief of police, Justin Pies, has been a, a phenomenal, you know, uh, ambassador and a leader of that change to, you know, move forward from A to B. And then uh, again, for him, sky is the limit when it comes to excellence. Bless his heart, you know, for all wow, the that's awesome. He does. So, so he, he's definitely uh, leading the pathway uh, in, in relation with the city manager as well as the city council. So definitely that is a very positive impact that you know, our chief has created on the community. Now that is uh, you know, what uh, the, the community advisory commission is basically working. Uh, and again, the focus is all about public safety and especially in the school systems, because we definitely want our, our students and the parents to be always safe and sound uh, when it comes to the safety of our, our, our young ones uh, at all times. Now, the other aspect that you know, the city has also taken a lead on, and of course, you know, this is again in collaboration with our chief, our city manager, city council, and our mayor, Jane Fox as well. And that was uh, the initiation of a uh, community inclusion advisory committee. And they have uh, the idea and the philosophy kind of, you know, uh, got its, uh, you know, inception, and then also, uh, I would say the it it was delivered 
by the task force it was created in parallel to the community at uh, sorry chief's advisory committee uh, which kind of gathered the data for about a two-year uh, time frame of what the changes are happening or what specific economical and social changes are happening in Dublin. And then they provided the feedback to the council and the council then basically approved the formation of the CIAC, which is now I'm part of, and I'm also chairing that uh, you know, commission. Uh, this commission is formed by uh, 13 different leaders from 13 different ethnic as well as cultural uh, leaderships who are part of this uh, you know, commission the city manager, the chief, uh, as well as the three different leaders from the three different high schools of Durban also sit as non-voting member uh, on, on this commission. And the whole idea is that, you know, whatever opportunities we have, whether they are social, uh, cultural, traditional, uh, whether they're religious or whether they are like, you know, federal holidays, like, you know, July 4th or, you know, Christmas times or New Year time, all these events that are, that can be celebrated in Dublin, we do provide our recommendations, our feedback and our collaboration mm -hmm. in bringing the right people into the conversation uh, with the city's leadership. So we are kind of like, you know, pretty much a gateway between the community, the diverse community that called Dublin as home and, and the city's leadership and the, and, and the management uh, to kind of work those, those, uh, those opportunities. Uh, and take further, we also uh, are basically the, the collaborators that uh, you know, are building the, the living experiences opportunities for constituents when it comes to the DEE and I uh, you know, framework, which is basically diversity, equity, inclusion, because we definitely want our residents, our constituents to feel uh, the importance, to feel the accommodation, feel the, you know, that you know, Dublin is everybody's home and we are all mm -hmm. part of the uh, home ownership and then we all need to be participating and even though these roles are more volunteer role plays but I think uh, it is bringing a lot of trust building it's bringing a lot of resilience and it's also bring, bringing a lot of like uh, you know communication on the two sides of the you know periphery which will probably never talk uh, until something goes completely wrong. wrong right yes I mean what an awesome uh, yeah. uh, uh, a project and, and example for other places to see, you know, you're, you're really speaking of getting, you know, people in the community are feeling like there's that they're noticed and that, you know, they're um, seen their voices kind of get heard and, and uh, uh, that's so important. So Excellent. very important for relationship and for to even make that community, we can use that word loosely, but to make yep. it something real, tangible and honest and authentic. So, yeah. Yes. I have noticed on social media, Imran, wherever there is something happening in Columbus and in that area, you are there. <laughs> so I just, at least it seems that way. Uh, you know, so many uh, places that, um, you know, you, you uh, either, you know, have been invited or just are part of this, um, this movement, I'm gonna call it, um, that is impacting that part of our state and um, you know to again for the very things we just talked about you know to help people to be seen heard to take um, you know to be respected um, right. and so I again just thank you so much thank you and you know I would like to uh, you know make a quick comment on that Dale uh -huh. I think not like uh, myself there you know we are blessed to have a large number of uh, like-minded leaders who are open to you know 
in conversation, going outside their comfort zone and uh, making the connection because right. we were seeing that, you know, how important it is for us to have this relationship in place because we don't have to be reactive all the time. We have yes, to be right. That has uh, played a phenomenal kind of like, you know, a cultural uh, you know, uh, prosperity in, in central Ohio, because people, you know, don't wait until something wrong happens or something bad happens for God for, you know, people out there making relationships in this way, we all not know about the right leadership and the right constituents to reach out to whenever there's a, you know, need of any kind. And again, these are only the negative needs of you know the disaster and the tragedies but these are also needs of like you know being there for each other during the time of uh, celebrations right. as well. mm-hmm. yes i think we have been successful in in columbus and my hopes are that uh, just like you know how any food product is successful in columbus can be successful right. in parts of the country Ab- hopefully this model can keep replicating itself as well so Absolutely. It's so important. Thank you. Well, I had mentioned that uh, Imran is part of Noor Islamic Cultural Center in Dublin, Ohio. And um, Imran, I, why don't you, I know your roles change over time, but explain, do you have a role that you, uh, you know, in within Noor right now that uh, in its leadership or? Thank you. So yeah, definitely, uh, you know, I have been part of the board. I was a past chairman like a couple of terms ago. And, uh, you know, really, uh, Noor has been able to centralize the community quite a bit, especially given that, you know, there our congregation at this point sends uh, to about six to 7,000, uh, you know, members on the, at least on the email, uh, on the mailing list. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 40 different ethnicities, that was the last count we did. Uh, it's just a very multicultural, multi-traditional, you know, of course, you know, the, the Islamic faith tradition, you know, is, is the universal platform there. Uh, we, we, we are a large community, very diverse. So I've had the opportunity to serve the community in a, uh, you know, the president or the chairman of the board, uh, you know, roles and responsibility in, in my previous role. Then I also moved into the executive, uh, you know, committee's, uh, you know, president for some time, which was basically taking care of all the operations of the of the center, then I led the outreach and the interfaith department for a long time. And since now I'm being pulled in so many different directions, so I kind of cut down a little bit of a role play. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I'm still very active, but uh, right now I'm leading the interfaith department and the media relation uh, department uh, in Noor, uh, which again, in my voluntary capacity, what I have always been very passionate about because you know, interfaith is that aspect of our you know, work uh, both the surgical as well as the operational aspect that you know helps me stay in touch with all communities, all different social fabrics, just not in the northeast corridor of Columbus, but pretty much all in the entire state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also have like an and the relationship of outreach uh, with law enforcement as well as public safety and the political offices, you name it, pretty much every spectrum of or, or any aspect of uh, yeah, you know, the human uh presence you know we do try to make a connection from our interfaith work so you know i enjoy that i have a very passionate uh you know spirit about uh, this kind of work uh because my parents have been very engaged and they have been very instrumental in building these values and uh, these uh, practices in my uh life so i definitely want to pass it forward i try to engage my children as much as possible in the families that i you know i associate uh, you know, on a routine basis to kind of, kind of become part of this world. Because I think uh, our world needs a lot of this uh, uh, this aptitude, this outlook, this mindset 
uh, a bridge building and uh, really move forward in a more constructive and a healthier way when we have built enough bridges. Uh, and there are not enough bridges out there. You know, we still have to continue building them. So, yep. Absolutely. So, and, and what, you know, in that role and just over the years that you've been engaging in that work, what challenges do you experience or maybe even see coming down the road, um, you know, through NOR and even SAIL and in this work of bringing diverse people together or just even, even broader than that in our culture? So there, that's a really big question I'm throwing at you. But, yeah, <laughs> but So what challenges are coming or are already, you know, you face? Thank you. All right. So, uh... The, the the short answer is definitely there are challenges you know uh, in life is uh, smooth sailing uh, you know or nothing in life is ever you know easy uh, sure somebody's telling you that you know hey this work is so easy even though it might be a very benign kind of effort uh it's not easy and no. i do <laughs> when you have to go outside of your own diverse community working with others who are also diverse uh, you know there are different aspects of challenges and there are different aspects of mindset uh, you know understanding as well you know there have been events uh, I'll start with the uh, you know the example there have been events where we do commit to uh, some kind of work uh, but then because of the uh, you know, the breakers that are put in from the internal aspect of community we might have to back out as well. And then that's mm. been pain processes for other communities as well, where they commit to an event or an activity or support or something, or, you know, a small work or task, and they eventually have to back out as well mm. because life happens or something will happen uh, that will, you know, make it uh, very difficult for them to participate. And this is natural. And we, over the course of the years, we have learned that, you know, hey, if uh, one community is not able to become part of a certain journey, then we do understand. We give them time. We give them uh, opportunity to, you know, re regroup with their internal efforts or challenges and then come back to the drawing table. And we always have to keep our mind open because, you know, this is not easy work. And majority of the people who are actually doing this work are doing in their volunteer capacity. It's very little amount of people who are in this line of work, uh, you know, who are actually paid or sponsored or, you know, are running on grants and coming and working in apologies. Most of this work is this uh, voluntary and uh, coming from people's personal passion and personal desires to get engaged and right. uh, the personal vision to, to see the communities connected. Uh, so definitely it's very daunting, it's taxing, uh, it can be stressful as well. Uh, sure. But then, uh, you know, it's very rewarding when you see hope, <laughs> excuse me, when you see the outcome and the fruits of it, uh, it's very satisfying, it's very gratifying. And it also humbles you in a sense that, you know, uh, when you are able to bring people who may never see eye to eye, but now they are sitting together uh, in the yes. same room breaking bread together and having a friendly conversation, those are some of the priceless things that, you know, we have been able to do in, in our work in the last almost 25 years. And I think that that is what, you know, makes you rejuvenate, rejuvenate and uh, kind of refuel your, your spirits and, you know, pick up your, uh, you know, bag and you're back to work again. <laughs> Try again. Yes. And keep at it. Yeah. Yes. And there are, I'm sure, new you know, ways people misunderstand each other and misconceptions they have about, you know, different kinds of faith beliefs and 
people yep. who are part of that and you know just it, there's there are many things that uh come to play into you know who you know how uh comfortable people are and then starting to break those down is you know um is just challenging i mean let's just put it that yep. way i don't know what else to say about that but yeah and you're hitting the uh, nail right on the head as well. You know, I mean, these these issues can be as benign as uh, someone who may have never been exposed to diversity. Right. Uh, it can be as complicated as something like, you know, someone coming from a very strong political motive or mindset mm -hmm. and he or she may not have the, you know, the... Uh, the uh, understanding of uh, how the local ecology is in general, and then you know that you know misunderstanding kind of uh, or misconception generates misunderstanding, and misunderstanding can generate like you know uh, hard feelings in general, and then people you know will go different pathways, and then unless you have uh, some relationships in between to really bridge that gap, uh, you know things can definitely sometimes be very complicatedly you know convoluted. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes. So Imran, um, thinking back over your life, you already mentioned your parents started instilling some of these values in you. But, you know, can you think of when and how you discovered your own voice? You know, and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like what you believe personally, um, mm -hmm. you know, and because there's things we're told we should believe and things we are told about ourselves. But, you know, I like to help people find their authentic personal voice. Um, so when did you discover uh, agency over your own thoughts and your feelings that you were then able to express and put into this, you know, legacy that you uh, are you know, leaving? Thank you. Well, I'm uh, sorry, I said leaving like you're going somewhere, but you know, <laughs> that you've, the impact that you've had on the world, so. Thank you. So, uh, it kind of starts in many different, uh, you know, scenarios. And I was looking into like, you know, last 25 years, specifically my life in USA. And then prior to that, I grew up in a very small country called Bahrain. Uh, I grew up, uh, you know, watching the nine year Iraq, Iran conflict in mm -hmm. the Persian region that was happening right next door. And then uh, right after that, there was a year of peace. And then there was uh, the first Desert Storm War, which literally kind of like in a base around the Persian Gulf and Bahrain in general, because the U.S. Air Force Base, Marine Base and Naval Bases were based out of Bahrain. Mm -hmm. And even though we were not a direct target or we were not engaged in conflict, but we were still, you know, semi kind of, you know, engaged in that, uh, you know, the, the war that was happening or right. the other the region. Uh, so, you know, growing up in that, you know, there's definitely a lot of stories that, you know, I personally went through and um, a lot of my friends who were like, you know, in the same peer group and my, my family. Uh, but I always saw by my parents were very instrumental and influential in a way that, you know, Bahrain is a very small ecology and there were a population of Bahrain at that time was maybe less than a million. Uh, but it was a very diverse ecology where you know, people from all over the world, you know, called it home and people were very comfortable working with each other. But, you know, when the sirens went on and off every time there was a threat call and stuff, uh, you know, everybody wanted to run into a rescue shelter, you know, gas mask and all the stuff. 
you know, my parents, you know, we lived in a very multi multicultural uh, neighborhood. And, you know, we were, li- and it's a very small and connected neighborhood as well. And, you know, when the sirens used to go out, you know, my, my parents did not care about like, you know, who was out in the street or, you know, which child or who that child belonged to. They will just hurdle up, rally up and get, get them to safety. Mm, whoever they were, yeah, just. Yeah, yep. So, you know, and, and it was just a kind of a routine task, you know, for quite some months, you know, when, when, when the war was still going on. So, you know, and then of course, you know, my parents always uh, went outside their comfort zone to help people, strangers who were newcomers to Bahrain and, uh, you know, uh, people who probably had no connection or social connection or economical connection. They always went out of their comfort zone to, to help those people out. And it, it, I think uh, faith kind of like, you know, was part of our household, but it was the spiritual connection that my parents built or demoed before me, uh, you know, kind of walk the talk kind of deal. So whatever they, they convict, they, their convictions were, they actually demoed it by their, their practicality in, in their life and in their routine. So I think that was a very early exposure for myself that, uh, you know, we all are people of faith or to much extent, you know, a lot of world around, you know, followed one faith or the other. And even people who do not follow faith, they still have some kind of like, you know, inside, you know, faith uh, to something. Mm, So so I always felt that, you know, I mean, our faith should always be circulating around our humanity. You know, we are humans first, and then we are some other forms of, you know, cultural or faith identity that we can associate with. Uh, so when I moved to the United States, you know, of course, I, I came here as an international student, uh, you know, struggled through, you know, the multiple, you know, jobs that I have to do to pay my tuition. Right. Married, I have to start my job. Uh, and of course, you know, life taught me a lot during that time as well. But I would say the most interesting phenomena that ever happened to me and again, tell me if I'm taking extra time because it's probably going to take me at least another 60 seconds to get to this, go through the story. Is the birth of our, our middle child, uh, Rayan, uh, who's my uh, our you know middle child. He's the second boy we had. Uh, it was his birth that really uh, revised and revived a lot of things in our life personally. And uh, I'll take a little moment to talk about it. That you know. Mm-hmm was that you know he was full-term baby but you know he had a meconium incident during the labor time and when he was uh, delivered uh, he also had the uh, umbilical cord kind of uh, tied around him around his neck so it was a very uh, trauma kind of like situation you know me as a parent standing there you know waiting for the new child to come out and then you know this is what's going on right Uh, that's very frightening yeah, and the nurses and the doctor just kind of like, you know, uh, clipped off the umbilical cord and started rushing him towards NICU without telling us anything. Oh, wow. Talk because, you know, we had already gone through the first delivery, uh, you know, previous delivery with our first one, which was more of a normal kind of, you know, situation, but this is very traumatic. So I kind of reached out to, you know, the nurse kind of took me to the NICU. My wife is, you know, on the, you know, delivery room, in the delivery room on the delivery, uh, you know, bed and stuff. And I'm in the NICU, don't know what's going on. And then uh, they are poking a baby who's less than five minutes with needles and, you know, Mm. trying to blood and all the stuff. And I'm watching there, you know, 
I with having no idea what's going on. Long story short, you know, they said like you know since he had a meconium incident, you know, the breathing was the you know zero pulse, and they were just shocked that they might lose him. But long, you know, but they were able to unwrap him, get him normalized, like you know, in next you know so many minutes and stuff. And then you know there were other things that they wanted to you know. Do their due, do their due diligence to before they discharge him, so they kept him in NICU for ten days and then they transferred instead of deliver, uh, discharging him, they actually uh, discharged us to go to uh, the children children's hospital for about another twenty days. So now this whole month, as parents, we are going through a lot of things, but there was this one thing that really touched our heart that every day when we visited children's hospital. There were blankets, there were toys, mm. and uh, you know there were things that uh, we knew that were not brought by our families and friends. It right. was by, and it happened the first day, the second day, the third day, and then finally asked the, the nurses around that you know who brings these gifts and stuff, and they said these are retiree peoples who actually do community service work, and any family who's going through the traumas and stuff they actually come out and show their support by being here and bringing these gifts and these uh, other things. And that is where I, it really touched my heart that, you know, we, the people of faith, have a lot more to do because when I started talking to many of those people, you know, they have spent their lives doing a lot of community service work and they just could not stay home in retirement because they wanted to do something still. Right. Those were the things that really wow. kept and the voices that really touched. And again, I can go for a long time on what conversations they had, but you know, those were some of those firsthand experiences during the time when you know my family and I were going through a lot of trauma without knowing what's gonna happen as the next step because you know, a lot of tests were being done and right. we as parents didn't know what was the outcome. Uh, that just changed in my life quite a bit. Yeah, uh, and there's this connection on a human level, which you started this our conversation by using those words. And a minute ago, you said, you know, that we were humans first. Um, and I'm thinking of that as you're telling that story. It's kind of really foundational to how you lived your life and influenced the world around you. Thank you. And, you know, again, there's a lot of people who I'm always going to be in debt for for teaching me empathy teaching me uh service uh so the credit list is very long uh, yeah. but i just want to <laughs> mention that <laughs> a lot of other other folks who have definitely been very influential in my life very good so imran um i'm going to ask you this is kind of last question i think for now but what would you tell your younger self for my younger self uh you know maybe yeah, looking back all these yeah. years First ago, <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, exceptional. One of the exceptions that happened to you know maybe myself and my family, especially my parents' side of the family, was that we, my my father left home when he was very young, so he moved to Bahrain back in uh, mid seventies. Mm -hmm. So I think his move, even though might have had a different journey and different trajectory of living experiences that he actually went through. I think he provided us the opportunity to live in a very globalized world in a time when the world was not that So especially, you know, in Bahrain, uh, you know, the, from 1975 to 1996, my time over there, 
uh, I was exposed to diversity to begin with and to reach out and connection. Uh, that was very easy compared to a lot of other friends and family and even community members that I keep uh, running into. They might not have been blessed with such a such a you know benefit uh, in 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 their specific lives. Uh, I think uh, I might have done the same thing. You know, even if I go back thirty years in my life, right. same things, and uh, uh, maybe something that I might change uh is my energies that you know i've probably spent in a lot of different directions you know which to me felt like uh, really did not generate any outcome i might have actually thought uh, of doing the same things in a different way in a different uh, way yeah yeah yep. so yes oh my gosh thank you so much again and thank you for being your authentic human self in thank the your family and in the world around you uh, and the impact that you have and helping others uh, find their place and to be uh, recognized and respected and their voices to be heard. I appreciate you so much, Imran. Thank you, Dale. Likewise, Anessa, like uh, my list of thank yous and gratitudes is very long. Of course, we cannot go through that right now, but I wanna take this uh, quick moment again and, you know, your presence, your your work that we have done here in Dublin to build the sale from you know from scratch, and then continuity of our relationship. You know whether you have been in Mason and I've been in Dublin. You know we have always been very connected. And thank you for all that you are doing uh, in you know making uh, the the ecologies of your respective uh, communities like, you know, so successful and progressive and bringing people together. Uh, it's God's work, and uh, you know I'm proud to call so many of friends like yourself as my brothers, because uh, I think we really cannot do this on our own. We need a team of uh, brothers and friends and community leaders to always come together and make this phenomenon happen over and over. So thank you for all that you do. Well, you, thank you and you're welcome. And we'll, we'll stay connected. And uh, thank you again, Imran. Wonderful. Thank you, Dale. Say hi to the family. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hear It From Me podcast. Tune in for the rest of season one and check out my other content on Substack where I write the unlearning blog and get in touch with me as well as find the link to buy my memoir, Hush Child, Finding My Voice and Breaking the Silence through my website, dalelikens.com.